Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all, to another rendition of the official Redbird Rants podcast. My name is Tito, and I will be your host tonight, and I am joined by two of our contributors, Larry Levin and Dan Campbell. Guys, how are we doing tonight? Doing great. How are you guys doing? This is Dan. And this is Larry. I'm doing just great. Glad to be talking to you guys. Yeah, it feels like it's been a while. We haven't had as many episodes lately, but we're here to get us back on track. We had an episode on Tuesday, and that was Dr. Miles and myself. Now we've got three of us, so let's see. We're not having any uh, technical difficulties this time around, so that's always a good start as well. So, guys, let's go ahead and get into it, and we'll talk about the disappointing loss to the Cubs today, some reaction to Luke Weaver's start, news around the league, and then we've got some other stuff coming up. Just stick with us. But let's go ahead and start with the Central Division and the scores surrounding them right now. As we all know, the Cardinals lost to the Cubs 8-5 to in what seemed like a pretty decent game until about the first inning um, <laughs> and then the second inning. And so as we look around the league right now for Central Division scores, Milwaukee is up. Six to three, bottom of the six on Miami, so no surprises there. And it looks like Pittsburgh did lose tonight against the Phillies, 7-0, as Jake Arrieta goes seven innings and ten strikeouts. So uh, just a quick note there for you, Jake Arrieta fans. But guys, let's go ahead and talk about tonight or today's loss to the Cubs, eight to five, and let's just jump right into Luke Weaver's start. He goes, I believe it was four innings today, six earned runs. Not the, not the Luke Weaver that we're used to, right, Dan? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I want to take just a little bit of a glass-half-full approach. I couldn't actually watch the game today, but I was kind of following along on game day, uh, blackout restrictions because I'm here in Chicago. I like that after he gave up the six runs in the first two innings, he didn't give up more in the next two innings. And I know pitch count, what did he end up throwing? It looks like he had 85 pitches. Yeah, 85. Okay, so I understand not running him out there for the fifth inning. But as much as you can when your team's down 6-1, to one, he kept the Cardinals in the game. He figured out whatever was going on. And the same guys that beat him early in the game, he shut down for the next two innings. Now, overall, it's not what we expect from Weaver. Um, I think he has a bit of a problem. I think the Cubs have figured something out with him because they beat up on him last year too. But uh, overall, a disappointment. But I do like, from a glass-half-full perspective, that he rallied in those next two innings and kept his team in the game and the Cardinals did somehow put up five runs, uh, which is inexplicable to me after looking just at the box score. But uh, overall disappointing, but I liked the resiliency that he showed at the end. Larry, what do you think? 
Um, you know, look, he he was throwing 95, so he was throwing reasonably hard. Um, he had some stuff. He only walked one batter, and this is one of the this is one of the um, issues with Luke Weaver, which is he's around the plate, and it's a really good thing. Um, uh, but the downside of that is if you're around the plate and you're not locating against a good lineup, you run the risk of being pummeled. So um, his control wasn't bad in the sense that he was walking guys. His control was – and he and he still had a two-to-one uh, strike-to-ball ratio on the, um, on the performance, but his control was bad in the sense that when he was around the plate, he didn't really know where around the plate he was, and that cost him. And he just left balls in – um, in places where good hitters were capable of taking it uh, in very bad directions for the Cardinals. Yeah, and, and I think one thing that you can take away is is kind of what Dan was alluding to, is at least he got through four innings. I mean, this could have easily gotten out of hand, and we could have been going to the bullpen a lot earlier. Now, a lot of people would say, why didn't Mike Matheny go to the bullpen a lot earlier? And that's a fair criticism. Um, Dan, what would you say to those who criticize Mike Matheny not going to the bullpen just to preserve the game, um, you know, after a couple more runs came before the six, before the six spot was uh, completely finished for the Cubs? Yeah, um, I, I think it's fair criticism. I, I think that he wanted to maybe see maybe, – and maybe there's a piece of this we don't see as fans, right? Maybe Luke Weaver – was lobbying to stay in the game. If so, I really like that. That's what I want to see from a guy who got roughed up. I don't want him to give up and come out of the game. I want him to fight to stay in there. And if that's what happened and Matheny said, get out there and show me, but at the first sign of weakness, I'm pulling you, I've got some respect for that. Now, should he have gone to the bullpen earlier? Hard to say. Um, You know, I know we've had a couple off days here, but he is now working with, by his own choice, a seven-person bullpen. Out of those seven people, he probably trusts three or four of them. So he's like working with a three- or four-person bullpen, which is his a problem of his own creation. But because he doesn't really know how to manage a bullpen, I, I don't really fault the decision not to go to them earlier. His bullpen management within the bullpen when they're in the game is so poor, I'd almost rather see the starter get a little bit further in the game. Larry, what do you think? What do you say to the criticism or to those who would say Mike Matheny needed to go to the bullpen sooner just to preserve the game, you know, either at 3-0 or 4-0? It really crept up on him really fast. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Mike Tyler honor as, as much as the next guy. But, but I think today, I, I think today it, just, it just got out of hand really quickly. You know, it wasn't a warm day in Chicago. You know, you you run the risk, you know, of, of warming people up quickly to get ready in that weather. You know, something can go awry. As Dan correctly said, they have seven pitchers instead of eight right now, so they don't have that guy that Matheny almost always sets aside to either be the extra inning guy or the long reliever. Um, you know, I happen to prefer the seven-man bullpen versus the eight. You know, but this is certainly a consequence of it, and and they've 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 self-proscribed some of the guys in that bullpen as not being capable 
of pitching more than an inning. I mean, they've all, they're they're treating Jordan Hicks with kid gloves. You can debate whether or not he should be here at the major league level or not, but but I think trying to be safe and cautious with the with the young talent and that talent is formidable. I mean, it's probably a reasonable thing. So, honestly, I really think it was just one of those things. I do want to say real quickly, though, you know, I think that I I love it that that Luke was able to pitch a couple of recovery innings, and I think the real test of today will be uh, Luke's next outing, right, is, you know, can he shrug this off and bounce back with a a good start? His history – in the minors and early majors has mostly been he's very able to learn from his mistakes and move forward. So one would not only hope so, but believe so. Um, and we'll have to see, but I, I, I this is one that I don't particularly uh, ascribe to Matheny, uh, even though I usually do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm sure Dr. Miles, who's listening would probably <laughs> agree with you on that one. Um, but uh, it is interesting to hear the criticism for something, you know, so trivial, uh, to be honest. Um, one, because it is early on in the season, and and two, um, Luke Weaver hasn't shown this side of himself, you know, in any of his starts. Uh, you know, we like I said at the very beginning, this is not something that we're used to seeing in Luke Weaver. Um, so you chalk this up to a blip in the radar, and I think you do have a great point, uh, Larry. It, it really does matter what he do, what he does from uh, from here on out, or particularly in his next start, um, mainly because he is so young, and tough outings can have a lasting impression on uh, those young arms. And you want him to be able to psychologically move on, and I'm sure he will. I mean, this probably won't be the you know the first you know the last time he you know gives up six earned runs, um, but he needs to come out next game with some mental toughness and saying you know what I'm going to bear down and I'm not going to give up six earned runs again. Um, can and, I, can and one, I say one real because quick the Cardinals thing? can't afford that. Um, I, I just wanted to say really quickly. I thought it was very um, I thought it was very notable that they. They, when they had to shift their rotation around because of the the snow out and rain out days, that that they uh, let Weaver pitch in Chicago, and and moved Walker back to pitch in St. Louis. I thought that showed a tremendous amount of confidence in Weaver and their um, their belief that he could compete in a very tough environment like Wrigley Field. And, and I'm I'm actually going to hit on this right real quick because I think that's twofold. I think it does show confidence in Weaver because he was pitching very well and and has been. I shouldn't say was because one game does not define how he has performed this season. But on the other side, Michael Walker last season had almost a seven ERA against the Cubs. Mm -hmm. And that, I'm sure, played more of a role in moving Weaver up than, you know, moving – uh, you know what I'm saying. It, it would play more mm-hmm. of a role in, in switching those two. Yeah. Um, and I think at the same time, who has been the better pitcher, Weaver or Waka this season? Until today, Weaver. No question. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I would say, you He's know. He's been the best starter on the entire team outside of Martina. 
Yeah, and I and I would say you have this opportunity to throw your best at the Cubs, pick up two quick wins, and, and move on to you know face a, a team that you just swept in four games, and you can continue your win streak. And obviously that didn't happen. And so uh, you know I think that plays an entire. I think that's uh, the twofold part of it. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. And honestly, something that really bothers me um, is Major League Baseball bending over for the Cubs, okay? <laughs> I re- the Cardinals wanted to play both of these games. I live in Chicago, as as you guys know. And Monday's game definitely could have been played. Mm-hmm. Okay, yesterday's game, it didn't start snowing here. Yes, it snowed here. It didn't start snowing here until like 4.30. So the game would have been over by the time the snow came. So I really, Mm -hmm. here's why optically it looks bad and why it's gamesmanship on behalf of the Cubs. The Cubs are struggling. Set aside Mm -hmm. the fact that they won today. They've won one, lost one, won one, lost one, right? They're Mm -hmm. They've been perfectly mediocre. The Cardinals came into the series on a five-game winning streak. So Joe Madden doesn't want to put a jacket on because his team is struggling and they just got Anthony Rizzo back off of the DL. So what does he do? He calls in a favor to Major League Baseball and says, let's not play these games until later in the week or in July. So the momentum from the Cardinals is dissipated, and the Cubs get another day to rest and get their stuff together. That's the way I saw it, and it it really, really bothered me that Major League Baseball was complicit in that. I mean, this is the Chicago Cubs. If anybody knows how to play in the cold, it's the Chicago Cubs. When the Cardinals are saying, we want to play these games, that should have some impact on playing the games. They shouldn't just get to veto the Cardinals and say, you know, it's a little windy today. It's a little cold. We're not going to play. They played probably the game in the worst conditions of the year the night before the Cardinals got into town and won that game. <laughs> and the wind was blowing yeah. like 40 miles an hour, and then they didn't play just because it was cold. It was ridiculous. And, and, I, and <laughs> I, you know, I, I see this in two, two lights, you know. I don't think made obviously nobody knows what knew what the weather was going to be at the start of the year, and so when you face a situation like this, it's very difficult. On the other hand, though, or what I should say on the flip side, it really it really comes down to one thing for me, and it's how the schedule was constructed this year. You want to start earlier, that's fine. You want to have more days off in between. I get it, but there comes a point where if you're going to start calling off multiple games in a series or you're going to start calling off games at a time, days off at a time, why not just push everything back then? Why why did we have to speed everything up? Why does everything have to start so much earlier? They want to end before November, I get that, but... Or schedule double headers. Right. Right. And that that too. And, and and to think, is November really that much colder than what it has been these last couple of days? <laughs> I know I'm you know, I'm not in Chicago, but here in Kansas City it's been pretty cold too. And it feels just about as cold as it does, you know, at the end of October and, and November. I don't know what you think, Larry. 
Uh, I was in Florida last week. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Larry, um, mute, mute yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, no, I, can, I, I, I understand your frustration, Dan. I, I, I'm not willing to go as far as to say as, you know, Major League Baseball is complicit in this and they're just, you know, catering to – to Joe Madden's whining, I, I I just take it with a grain of salt and say, you know what, they didn't play. We'll just we'll have to play a doubleheader on July 21st. Will it suck? Maybe, but we get a chance to uh, call somebody up, and that person's going to be Jack Flaherty. So it'll be nice to see him pitch. That's a great point, Tito. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about the game today outside of Luke Weaver. We saw Matt Bowman come in. He struggled a little bit, gave up two more earned runs, and that pushes his ERA to a whopping 6.23. Mike Matheny tried to squeeze as much as he could out of him. Then Luke Gregerson, who made his Cardinal debut today, comes in and gets a double play. Um, And then we had good old Greg Holland come back into the game, who actually didn't look too bad. Right. Um, he, He really didn't. And, and I will be the the same thing I said on Tuesday that Javier Baez home run was not a bad pitch. He just pitched. He just put it in a spot where Javier Baez can hit it. Um, so Greg Holland is starting to look a little better, right, Larry? Or am I just kind of, you know, I'm still faking it? No, I mean, you know, this is not this is not a shocker for a guy who, you know, signed signed on a Thursday and then is expected to have a you know, be ready for in major league, major league form by a week a week from the following Monday. I mean, that's that's super short. And no matter what kind of quote off season conditioning program close quote you are involved in, there's nothing like game performance. So, you know, I'm not surprised. I don't think that this is indicative of anything long term with respect to Greg Holland. Um, you know, um, and and honestly. You know, if you look at the overall pitching performance of the Cardinals, and I'm pulling back a little bit to a more of a macro lens, you know, it's been quite good. It's been the entire team is sitting what about third in the league in ERA, right? They're given well until today. I should I should X out today, but until today, <laughs> you know, giving up uh, 3.2 you know runs per nine is pretty solid. And, you know, flipping from the relievers to the starters for a minute, I think, what, like 11 quality starts out of 17 or 18 games. So, so you know, for all, all the early, all the early uh, season grousing that we all do, and it's, it's, it's our entitlement as fans and fans who watch a lot of baseball, you know, so far reasonably good. I don't think we know yet what the roles are going to be for these pitchers. I don't think we know yet what the Memphis shuttle is going to look like. Um, You know, I think that'll probably start to settle out over the next 20 games or so now that Gregerson is back and Holland is in the mix. Um, And they'll be able to find out what they can get on a regular basis out of Jordan Hicks. And then, you know, if they have, you know, the need, they can be shuttling back and forth with, uh, with Memphis. Uh, with Brevia, who got sent down uh, today, correct? So, um, yeah, so I just think uh, all I'm saying is, you know, to be a couple games out of uh, over 500, you know, with the struggles they have had, 
The pitching's been reasonably good. I think it will get better. And I think the bullpen, uh, the rhythm of the bullpen will start to sift itself out, you know, over the next 20 games or so. Yeah, and, and Dan, do you have anything to add on to, to what Larry's saying about the Cardinals pitching and, and in specific uh, to Greg Holland as his progression is moving in a positive direction, albeit very slowly? Uh, yeah, just, just one thing to add, and that's that when Holland, Holland came in in the uh, sixth inning, right? Yep. Okay. Yes. When Holland came in, we were losing 6-1. to one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the only thing I'll add is I would have liked to see Holland pitch two innings today. We're losing six to one. The chances of coming back with the way our offense has been performing, not great. I know they I know they made a good effort against the Cubs bullpen, but I would have liked to stretch him out a little bit. I thought this would have been a good game to do that against a formidable foe to see what he's got after he had a good sort of one inning. That's the only thing I have to add. I, I saw in uh, STL today in the game story, I believe that Messini said that they don't intend to use him for more than one inning, and I don't know why, and I don't know if that's temporary or permanent. I think that has to do more with just still getting him used to game speed. Okay. Uh, he doesn't need to have two innings worth if that's what his arm is not used to. Um there's no reason to do that, especially, uh, you know, moving on, moving forward, you know, if he needs to be pitching on back-to-back days, imagine if he pitches two innings the night before and then he has to come in and pitch another inning. So you'd ask right. him to do but really I mean, three innings. Through 14 pitches, I mean, it's nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not, I'm not, and I was going to get to that next, and, and I think that's where I think the the whole issue comes in is if he's only throwing 14 pitches, then that's nothing. I mean, that's not even a bullpen for him. So, you know, the question really becomes, I think, is if the if his role is not to exceed more than an inning, then that should be kind of right there. I think you stick to that. Any thoughts on that? What do you think, Nothing. Dan? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. That's all right. That's fine. I mean, I mean, we can agree to disagree on it. That's okay. I, I, I just, I, I'm not, I'm okay with him not having to do it. So it's not, it's not that big of a deal. Now, obviously, nobody would have anticipated what happened later in the game with the, with the Cardinals, uh, being able to score four runs off the Cubs bullpen in the seventh. Um, but that is a but that is a key, that was a key moment in the game and, and one particular at bat really really put the Cardinals out of this game and that was by Mr. Paul DeYoung. Yep. He came up with two on, two outs, three two count, and let a fastball you know middle inner half right by him. It was like he wasn't even prepared to hit. Um, Larry strikeouts have been piling up very quickly for Mr. DeYoung. This particular bat was essentially, you know, the kind of the microcosm for him this season is one too many pitches gone by, right? He, you know, he has almost, almost half of his at-bats are strikeouts. Um, 
I think, I don't know if this was before today, but I think it was like 29 strikeouts and 62 at-bats or something like that. And, I mean, that's, that's craziness. Now, we knew that this was the potential downside of Paul DeYoung. Um, you know, that he's, he's a very athletic guy, um, you know, but not a, um, not a sophisticated at-bat taker, shall we say. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it affects where he bats in the lineup. It can be a all-or-nothing proposition when he comes to bat. Um, I, think it, I think it has to impact who bats around him in the lineup as well uh, in terms of what he's going to see. Um, but today, yeah, it sure looked like he was simply guessing what he was going to see, and he guessed wrong and got bollocks, and it looked like he barely took the bat off his shoulders um, on that called third strike. Yeah, and, and, and this is the thing. There's no reason for him to be letting that particular pitch go by, to right. be honest. I mean, you're late in the game. Typically, on a 3-2 count, you, you sit fastball and adjust. Uh, you adjust off speed. And Especially against who was that, Carl Edwards? I mean, yes. you, you got to let fastball. <laughs> right. And, and, that's what he came, and that's what he came with. And, you know, DeYoung is a good fastball hitter. Um, Dan, you know, what have you made of DeYoung's struggles? You know, was this strikeout – I guess you were watching this, but his strikeouts, you know, are defining him at this point more than his power. You know, what are you making of his struggles right now? Well, you're right. I didn't see the at-bat, but I will tell you it's a microcosm of what's been his problem lately. I think when he's trying to be more selective, right, he Mm -hmm. is letting hittable pitches that he thinks are close or might be a little bit out of the zone go by him. Previously, he would swing at those pitches because he's more of an aggressive free-swinging hitter. So he's stuck in between. He's sort of in a microcosm of trying to be more patient, which he's not good at, and and therefore being less aggressive, which is his strength as a hitter. So he's he's totally caught in between, and I it sounds like the at bat you're talking about is a perfect example of that. However, I haven't really been focusing on DeYoung, even though in his last 22 at bats he struck out 12 times, <laughs> which is which is actually hard to do. I'm I'm astonished by that. Somehow still. He's been playing better overall than Fowler and Carpenter. So I don't really fault him that much because he has more hits than both of those guys. I think he has five, he has five more hits than Matt Carpenter and three more hits than Dexter Fowler and a better average than both of them and a better OPS than both of them. Yes, than both of them by like 100 points. So as much as... As much as it's nice to pick on DeYoung, frankly, he's the number seven hitter in this lineup. And your number one and three hitters are hitting much worse. And I think just because he was so good last year and he signed the extension, the scrutiny is focused on DeYoung. Whenever the leaders of this team, and I'm just talking about Dex and Carp, 
are struggling worse than anyone. So, I, you know, I, I give DeYoung a little bit of a break because of what Larry said, which is he's the player who we thought he was. He strikes out a ton. The problem is they've tried to overcorrect him, and now he's not as aggressive. So they're taking away from his strengths. So I'd like to see him fix that, and I think he will. But I'm more focused on number one and three being the worst hitters on the entire team. And, and we'll definitely get into that. I, I just want to make a couple more comments on on Paul DeYoung. It seems to me that as he has progressed this year, it, it feels like I, I feel like he is tr- maybe trying to do a little too much, trying to 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 put the ball in the air a little bit too much, and, and he's not focusing on the simpler thing. Like for instance, that three-two fastball that he just lets go by. He knows that was a strike. He knew it as soon as he as soon as it went by him. He started walking off. Um, and then you see at bats like he had um, earlier in the game when he walked to load the bases, and it was like the best at bat according to people, uh, the best at bat he's ever you know they'd ever seen. And so he, it, you kind of are right, Dan, is that he is struggling to be the the more patient hitter versus the free swinger that he was or is is at times. And that's what it comes down to for him at this point is, is he going to be, you know, what kind of hitter does he want to be or what kind of hitter does do the Cardinals need him to be? And, and I think that's a question to keep in mind moving forward as the season progresses, but guys, let's take a quick break. We'll get into more some car- we'll get into more cardinal talk, especially when it comes to Matt Carpenter and Mr. Dexter Fowler. We also have questions from the contributors as they take a little bit of control of the podcast. Stick with us. You're listening to the eighth episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast. Okay, welcome back to the eighth episode of the official Redbird Rants podcast. I'm your host, Tito, joined by Larry and Dan, our contributors. We just got done talking about Luke Weaver's start, some cardinal pitching, and also some struggles with Paul DeYoung. Let's go ahead and get to the overall lineup. Guys, one of the common themes that I am seeing with the St. Louis Cardinals throughout this year is when they go up against top pitchers from opposing teams, they struggle. Larry, what do you think? I don't know. Um, you know, I, I was looking at the, the hitting performance for the team overall, and it's, I, I guess, Tito, I, I would need to look at the breakouts. I thought today they just happened to have a pretty bad hitting day, although they showed some good, patient, strong walks and got some timely hits as they got back into the game. So even then, you know, I thought that they made an effort, uh, a reasonable effort on the hitting side. I mean, if you look at the overall hitting stats, and I would have to say, you guys will have to tell me because you may have looked at, at the breakdowns more than me. The overall hitting stats have them squarely in the middle of the league, you know, in terms of both runs scored and their their OPS. Now, you know, they they cleaned up in four games against the Reds. So, you know, you may tell me that you you believe that, you know, it's disproportionately skewed upward 
because of that. Um, you know, but I look at some of the overall um, performances by guys in the lineup. Yachty seems to be doing very well, much better, uh, as I admit to you, Tito, that I thought he would do this year. Um, Tommy Pham has seemed to do well. Um, Jose Martinez has seemed to do reasonably well. Um, so there have been guys contributing um, within the lineup. Um, you know, I'd like to, after we do the overall, come back to Carpenter because I just wrote a column about him, and I'm very, very worried about Matt Carpenter on a lot of different levels. Not as worried about Dex as, as, as I think Dan is. Um, I just, I, you know, I look at Dex's last year in comparison to his overall career and, and see how it came out, you know, reasonably similar. Um, whereas I look at some of the underpinnings of Carpenter's work last year and I see some of it carrying forward this year and it scares me desperately, especially with him batting near the top of the lineup. So I'm not worried about maybe four four guys or so. Jerko's coming back. We'll see if he can be hidden. Um, Colton Wong is a disaster area right now. There's no question about it. Um, but, again, early. Um, half good, half not so good. I don't know if I agree with your premise about they can't hit against the better pitchers. Dan, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think what Tito's premise is saying is I, I agree that they don't hit well against the best pitchers, but isn't that true for every single team? For everybody, team? yeah. So, well, I, well I, what, I, what I mean is is that when the Cardinals have faced the top pitching from each of the opposing teams so far, they have not been able to handle them. And if you're going to beat the better teams, you're going to have to be able to do that, Right. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I think it's we've had some tough pitching matchups. I think today is a a pretty scary proposition because John Lester is not a top pitcher anymore. It just shows no. that this team is exposed against left-handed starters, and that was not fixed. Uh, or it's not fixed right now because people are underperforming. But I think, Tito, you're right because of the boom or bust nature of this team, if you don't have Yachty or Jose Martinez coming up with runners on base against these really tough pitchers, I don't love our chances because we don't have a lot of guys who are good at putting the ball in play. And against big strikeout high-velocity guys, you have to have some at-bats like uh, Harrison Bader had against Lester today when he had a 10-pitch at-bat. You know, you've got to have some at-bats like that where you break down and wear down that pitcher throwing 98 over and over and over again by just fouling things off or making contact or putting the ball in play. This team's not built for that. This team is built for three-run homers. And so, you know, whenever they get their three-run homers, they're going to look good. But the best guys in the league aren't giving those up a lot. So we're exposed against the high strikeout guys a lot. And I think a lot of teams are similar, but – it does look like we've been exposed a bit more, Tito. So I do agree with you. Yeah, uh, and and that was mainly the thing that I was trying to get at is, is that as we have seen, you know, we think of the names that we face: Robbie Ray, Thor, Degrom, Lester. You know, those are some really good pitchers in in the National League. You know, we even saw Zach Davies, who I wouldn't say is a top pitcher 
by any means, but he is one of the, you know, he's one of Milwaukee's better pitchers. And, you know, we will see, I'm sure we'll see Max Scherzer at some point this year, and I'm sure we'll see Clayton Kershaw at some point this year. And it'll be interesting to see how the Cardinals respond. Now, it will be later in the year, and they'll probably, you know, be in, an, in a, uh, a flux of or a fluctuation of, you know, having some good at-bats or some good timing at that point. But it'll be really interesting to see if the Cardinals are able to to push past the notion that they cannot hit a team's top starters and waste, you know, two games, one or two games. Because essentially think about what happened with the Mets. Had the Cardinals hit them, you know, that's a that's an easy series for them. Well, and instead of everybody talking to – sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think one thing your point is driving at that we're not saying is – Think about who we've started the season against. The Mets, the Brewers, the Diamondbacks, the Brewers. All playoff teams. The Reds, except the Reds, and the Cubs. Yeah. If you take out the four-game sweep against the Reds, who are the worst team in baseball, by the way, we're 6-8 and eight against contenders. That's exactly, if you extrapolate that out over the full season against contenders, that's about where we were last year. So the team hasn't improved against contenders. So where are we going to make the playoffs? Well, we could either get better against contenders, which it looks like, you know, we've got a decent sample, 18 games. We're not doing great so far. Or we really have to beat up on teams like the Reds because our strength of schedule is not getting easier. We play the Reds again. Okay, we'll see. If we take another three against them, that's great. That's gravy. You have to expect they might win one of those games. Um, But – the Mets, and then at the Pirates is what's coming up next. And then we, like, get into interleague stuff where we play more contenders. You know, so we don't have a very friendly schedule to start the year. So this is a really telling time, and that's why I liked your question, Tito, because we we do have a lot of information of how this team is going to perform against contenders. And so far, below average is the answer. Yeah, and and the only way that this gets any better – is that you you beat up on your on this NL Central? There is no other choice but to beat the teams that you play in the division, which is why I wrote about why the Central was so important this year. And 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 I said it the other day, and I'll and I'll say it again here: when you play 60% of your Central your, of your divisional games in the first 95 games of the season, that is a really that will be a really telling sign of where you're going to be come uh, come uh, July 11th or whatever, the 15th. That's going to tell you if this team is going to make the playoffs. If they're not, you know, if they're above 500, there's a good shot they make it. But if they're sitting at 500 or below 500, you might as well pre- be prepared to sell whomever on the team so you can at least reap some benefits from this. But Larry, uh, to to Dan's point here, the six and eight remove remove the Reds. You're six and eight against contenders. What do you say to the Cardinals, or what do you say on how to fix this? Because it is a serious issue that the Cardinals are facing. Um, I, I just don't think six and eight is a huge sample size. I mean, I could turn around and say they beat Zach Branke, which they did. Um, you know, he, but um, okay. So if we're going to say, if, if we're going to say 
that um, John Lester is no longer a top pitcher. Zach Greinke last year was not good, and he has he not, not been great this year. So right. I, I would push Zach Greinke into that realm as well. Right. Uh, and you could say the Mets came out of the game unbelievably hot. Um, That's you know, fair, so too. You, you think they're going to be, you know, the equivalent of 13-2 and two through the rest of the season? I sure no. don't. Um, no, no, I, I don't think so either. I mean, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh has a team ERA that's more than a, a run-a-game higher than we are. Um, you know, Milwaukee's is, uh, is about a half, of, half a buck higher than ours. Right now, the Cubs are. They're struggling from a pitching perspective. And, you know, to be fair, we scored five runs today, right? We did not win the game, but we scored five runs today. Um, so today's loss was reflective of our pitching, and not necessarily our hitting, because most days that you score five runs, you should be competitive in the game. So, you know, I'm a little more willing to cut it some slack and wait and see a little bit um, on this premise about how they hit against good pitchers um, so than then I think the two of you are. And that's fair. So, guys, let me just say, let, let me just say one yeah, thing real ahead. quick. Go ahead. Zach Grinke was not bad last year. He what? finished fourth in Cy Young voting, made the all-star team, 20th in MVP voting, won a gold glove, had 215 strikeouts and a 3-2 ERA in 202 innings. So he wasn't bad last year, but he has been bad this year. I just wanted to clarify that. He has been that. bad this year. That's true. Okay. Yep. That's fair. Thank, thank you. I, I, I guess maybe there was some – he must have had a rough patch where he did not pitch well because I certainly remember remember him not being, the you know, the Zach Greinke of old. And maybe that was two years ago, but there was – recently he had not been very good, and there were questions of whether, you know, his age was catching up to him or if his time was over. He um, was very got, mediocre in 2016 for sure. Was it 16? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, then that that must be what I'm I was thinking of. Well, shame on me then. Uh, okay, so I, I kind of want to I want to hit on something that Larry brought up, um, and I know you're probably dying to talk about this too, uh, Dan, and, and that is Matt Carpenter. Uh, Larry, you know, talk a little bit about what you wrote in regards to Matt Carpenter. Um, there's been some interesting reaction, that's for sure. So so I'll I'll give the floor to you. Uh, just just. Two, two, two very simple things, which is, you know, Matt Carpenter's ability to get on base from about the middle part of 2016 until now has been, you know, primarily um, by virtue of getting walks. His hit rate has been down significantly. So for the second half of 2016, he batted 229. Um, he batted all of uh, for 241 for all of last year, and now he's batting a buck 75. Um, and then what is really freaky is is how what a what a downward turn his ability to hit left-handed bat, uh, pitching has has taken. Um, last year he he had a little over um, 100. Uh, at bats against all left-handed pitching, and he hit 202. But against left-handed starters last year, 
he had, for the season, and this was 92 at bats, I think he hit 185. Now, you know, we're willing to cut lefty on lefty some slack, but, you know, whether you're asking a guy to lead off or you're asking a guy to bat third, you know, that's not okay for either of those positions. And then, you know, today, and we can get back to some Matheny bashing now, you know, the guy is thrown in at his usual number three hole um, to face, you know, John Lester. So, um, and, you know, he's, yes, he had a hit, he had an RBI against a lefty uh, the other night. And, you know, my reaction is, yeah, sure. Baseball is a game of accumulated data, not of one-offs. And the, the track record now of both his overall batting average being being weak and his left-handed batting average being weak now goes back a good year and a half, and that is a substantial um, sample size. So for me, um, you know, I don't, while everybody's been debating Dex versus Carpet leadoff, you know, my conclusion is Matt Carpenter, while he can draw walks, he is not helping advance runners the way that a three-hole hitter needs to. Um, and for me at this point, he should be further down in the lineup and not part of the top five in this lineup. Uh, or to put it another way, not part of the top five of a of, of a lineup of a team that is a playoff contender. Dan, what's your reaction to uh, to what Larry had to say, and did you get a chance to read his article? I did read it, and I completely agree. I have said for a while this this year that the best place for Matt Carpenter to be batting is eighth. You got a guy who takes a lot of walks but isn't hitting. Have him turn the lineup over to the pitcher. Mm-hmm. You're never going to steal on first base with the pitcher up. Put a guy there who doesn't steal. You want some pop at the bottom of your lineup? Maybe he starts heating up and he regains his stroke? Great. You have that length at the bottom of your lineup. Or you can move him up later. But it is absolutely dereliction of duty for Mike Matheny to keep Carpenter at three and Fowler at one while they're struggling so badly. it's, It's too many at bats now to give them the benefit of the doubt. And more than more than their poor results, I think their process has been poor. And this gets a little bit more into Fowler, which I won't get into now because we're talking about Carpenter. But the effort offensively and defensively of both of these guys has been subpar. And I think that's being nice about it. So I agree <laughs> with Larry. I, I think Carpenter should be batting eighth until he figures it out. And I want I want walks at the bottom of the lineup to turn the lineup over to the guys who are actually hitting. So I would be willing to put a Tommy Pham at number one, a Martinez at three, Ozuna at four, and and someone else at number two. Maybe a Paul DeYoung to get more fastballs. I'd be even fine with that. But something's got to change at the top of the lineup to get this team going. And it's interesting to say that because you know they have scored so many runs. Um, let me let me kind of get a quick look. But one thing um, that stands out to me, particularly particularly about Matt Carpenter, is this: last year, around the same time this year, 
I tweeted about, you know, how long was it, how long would it be before we see Matt Carpenter back in the leadoff? Is that not the same sentiment we're all going through right now? And so that just tells me one thing that, you know, maybe it is time to just give up this crusade of thinking that Matt Carpenter is a three-hole hitter. I, I, I don't know how else to, to explain it. Everybody is now just writing about it, you know, about his contact rate, about his walk rate, about his strikeout rate, about how he's not putting balls in play anymore. It's it's just very obvious that Matt Carpenter is not serving a proper role. And I think what what really puts it into perspective is that Mike Matheny is double switching his three hole hitter. How many managers do that? Good point. How many how many managers have ever done that unless they're hurt? I don't I cannot name you one manager that has ever gone off the gone off on that tangent so far as to remove him. Now in today's game, I understand six to one in the seventh inning, you're probably thinking, you know what, we're probably not gonna win this game. Oh, but lo and behold, they score four runs and they're right back in it. But you've already made your move. And it's the same thing we that happened to us earlier in the year when Mike Matheny, you know, uh, double switched and had Greg Garcia in the three hole, and look what Greg Garcia did that day. So if you're if you're going to tell me he's a three hole hitter, then why is Mike Matheny double switching your three hole hitter then? That makes absolutely no sense to me, and that is the crux of why Mike, Matt Carpenter shouldn't be in the three hole. Any comments to that? Yeah, I agree to 100%. Same. Um, you know, and, and and I did also want to add, and one thing I mentioned in the article is, you know, we're, we're forcing this square peg into this round hole, presumably for offense, because we know that the other configurations, you know, with Colton playing second, even though you can certainly level criticism at Colton for a sitting, but we know that the configuration with Colton at second and when he's healthy, you know, Jerko at third or even Garcia at third is a vastly superior defensive setup, right? So, so not only, not only is the logic poor, you know, for him batting in the place he is in the lineup, we're, we're putting him in the lineup and forcing out people who, you know, would do a much better job in the field. And we have seen not only some, some bumbling footwork at second base by Carpenter, but some really tough shoulder issues at third base from Carpenter. So, you know, it's where should he bat and, you know, should he bat anywhere against lefties and should he be playing every day at all? So, Yeah, and I think if you really want to point some fingers somewhere, you point him at Jose Martinez for being so dang good to start the season yeah. and and force the issue of Matt Carpenter playing merry-go-round uh, around first, second, and third. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there because at the end of the day, he needs to hit, and he clearly isn't doing that. Um, it looks like we're not going to have time for your guys' questions because I do want to talk about Dexter Fowler as much as Dan does um, because 
he was brought to the St. Louis Cardinals to be the leadoff man, yet he is struggling once again early on in the season. And as Larry pointed out, you know, that is typical of him. But the Cardinals cannot afford that. Much like they can't afford Matt Carpenter to be a a terrible three-hitter, they can't afford to have an out almost every single time Dexter Fowler leads off a game. Dan, you were the one very adamant on this. What's your thoughts on this? Well, I I just – I loved Dexter Fowler's approach last year. I thought he embraced trying to be a run producer. And on this podcast last year, I talked extensively about how he could fit the mold of a player who could be like a strong number five hitter, and he has a knack for driving and runs. I still think that. So I actually think him at leadoff at this point in his career is the square peg in the round hole. And I liked when he had a production mindset. Right now, I see a guy who is so lackluster, it looks like he's not even trying. And I see that not just in the batter's box with his sort of lackadaisical swings, but in the outfield. You know, the most telling play was the game where Tommy Pham hurt his groin. Tommy Pham one of the only people producing on this team at a high level offensively, him and Martinez, really carrying the team. Hey, don't forget Yachty or Molina, please. Yachty, too. You're right. Sorry about that. Yachty, too. Um, and I, with you, Tito, I've been a big proponent of Yachty and thinking he's going to have a big year, and he has. Fam ran like 85 yards into dead right field to dive for a ball that Dexter Fowler was going to play on the hop. We don't see him trying to throw runners out, trying to score from second. He just lobs the ball back into second place. Ah, everyone's going to score. We don't even see a competitive player in the field, and that translates to the batter's box. It translates to the base paths. He is such a negative value player, and honestly, if he doesn't get his butt in gear, he's in big trouble because the Canadian bicep machine has already been called up, Mm-hmm. Bader has been playing well in limited time. Jag is scorching the ball in AAA, as is Oscar Mercado. And he better be worried because he's going to get the Mike Leake treatment if he doesn't turn it around. And that's a very good point. I mean, you know, that, you know, and I think people need to understand that Dexter Fowler does have a no trade clause in his contract. And so that is what Dan is referring to when he says the Mike Leake treatment where Cardinals give him a bunch of money, but at the end of the day, they don't need him because they have talent beneath him. And that is what happened with Mike Leake because he was not performing as expected. Larry, you said you weren't as worried. Can you tell us why you're not as worried, though? Well, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't be overwhelmingly bothered by moving Fowler to third if uh, to the three hole if I knew that there was going to be a, a competent alternative in the one hole if if people believed that he was going to be a better performer in the three hole. Um, you know, as, I, I think he will work it out. I don't see the lackadaisicalness, if that's a word. Um, that that Dan does, um, so so I'm willing to let it ride because I've seen you know looking at his his uh, overall performance over the years, there's such little variance in his where he ends up in terms of 
batting average and is on base. And, of course, in two of the last three years, he's added, you know, more significant power, which is Dan's point about him being, you know, more of a driver for uh, for run production. Um, but I don't have a major issue with him continuing to bat first and, and progress. You know, I, I don't – you talk about who the other guys who are pushing him in the system are. We got tons of people – pushing the outfielders in the system, we won't even have time to talk about the whole Tyler O'Neill situation. I know. <laughs> uh, I, you know, which maybe we can do next week. But, but um, you know, I, I have more confidence that, that Dex will um, basically revert to the mean, which in this case will be a positive um, uh, reversion to what he's, what he's done customarily. So just have a little respectful disagreement with Dan about this one. Yeah, and, and I think maybe if Dexter College just tweets every day, I will get a hit, it's actually going to happen, right? <laughs> I I mean, at this point... That the, was pretty awesome, you know. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, at this point, the issue with Fowler is, for me, is that if you're going to be the leadoff guy, you've got to be playing at a higher level, um, especially knowing that there are two teams in the Brewers and the Cubs that will continue to push you this season. And as far as the Cubs have, you know, have not played well and neither have the Brewers, really, the Cardinals, this could be the Cardinals' division. Only if the offense carries them, though. And that starts with Dexter Fowler. And I think that's where I think a lot of people are getting frustrated is they see this opening – and, and do I expect Pittsburgh to be there all year? Absolutely not. Their rotation, although it is uh, – I mean, you can even see it. Their rotation is not good. They're like 12th in the National League in ERA right now. It's their offense that's carrying them <laughs> um, and, and keeping them in game. And, and they're back into their bullpen, you know, with Felipe Rivero. You know, that is something you have to consider. Um, and and if, it, if anything taught us – if something taught us last year, it was the Brewers who hung around for the entire season after everybody said, oh, they're, they're going to fall off. So if the Cardinals are going to win and they're going to take this division, they have to get that offense going and, and clicking on a regular base. basis, I should say. Um, and, and there's something I wrote about earlier in the year, and that was all the playoff teams in the National League or, or pretty much all the playoff teams last year Average four runs or better, all of them. And I, I would be really interested to see where the Cardinals are pacing right now, and I think it's just a shade over four. But they have to continue to produce at that level, or, you know, you never know where this is going to end up. Any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Tito, and I think the three people that have to drive that, that – aren't right now. Two, you're going to expect. One will surprise you. Uh, obviously, Dex and Carp. the one that will surprise you is Ozuna. And yeah. while I like that he has 19 hits, he's slugging at a 365 clip. And mm-hmm. he, was, he was brought on to carry this offense and be a home run hitter. And he's got two home runs. I love that he's getting a lot of hits, but he doesn't walk, he strikes out a lot, and he hasn't been slugging, which is what he needs to do for this team to be really successful. So, uh, you know, it's really it's really those three 
plus Paul DeYoung figuring some stuff out. And if that happens, this team will be really good. We've seen glimpses of it. So I, I think you're right. The offense can be a really big strength of this team. And if it is, the starting pitching and the bullpen are, are going to be even better than the offense. So I'm, I'm bullish on this team, but they do need to start performing at the level that they should be performing. Yeah, and, and quickly, Larry, what, what did you, uh, what do you, what do you have for us? I agree. I'd love to get, I'd love to get Ozuna and Martinez more at bat. I'd love to push them up to the three and four holes, and just ditch the whole Carpenter foolery, and and, <laughs> and, and 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 see what the top four. You know, I'd have Dex, but if you want somebody else, whatever. I, I'd like to see how that top four performs with Yachty and Jerko sitting behind them. And I think, you know, you could have the five or six uh, beginning of the lineup really starting to crank seriously by removing the um, the non-performances. Okay, and, and so one last question for you guys before we wrap it up here on the official Redbird Rants podcast, and that is who has more strikeouts by the end of the year, Paul DeYoung or Marcelo Zuna? I'll go DeYoung. Um I'll go Ian Happ, but a close second will be Paul DeYoung. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that uh, actually might not be a bad one, and you might even say uh, uh, Kyle Schwarber as well. <laughs> Who do you have on that, yeah. Tito? I, I would have to agree with you, Dan, I, and, and you, Larry, that Paul DeYoung will have the more strikeouts. He already has eight more. Yeah, I think um, he's he's striking out at a higher rate and. Um, Marcelo Zuna is a is an overall better player, I think. Yes. And I think yes. as the weather warms up, Marcelo Zuna is going to come back to the normal. And it kind of stinks. I, I feel like I jinxed Marcelo Zuna. I wrote a, a kind of a puff piece for him over the weekend, and now he's kind of letting me down. So um, <laughs> maybe I need to write a negative piece and reverse that trend. There you go. I'm going to do a love-hate piece for Matt Carpenter because last there year that go. turned Colton Wong around. There you go. Well, you might as well do it again for Colton Wong again. So We might rerun that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, guys, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for listening to the Redbird Rants podcast. This is Episode 8 for, Dar- for Dan and Larry. I'm Tito. We'll catch you next time. Have a good night. Good night. Thanks, guys.